my 1800 pounds oh my god i'm gonna figure it out we're just gonna make it work i'm like you work in a bar work in a bar i don't care i have to live with 100 people I live with 100 people So basically, yeah, living my great lifestyle, turning into a little valley girl. And then they're like, you know what? We're gonna move to Honduras. I went back to my old neighborhood and then I'm like, you know what? This isn't me. Well, London had always been calling since the Spice Girls. Toronto is great, but maybe there's more out there. And if I don't go now, I'm not getting any younger. So I need to make this move, period. I didn't really have any friends here. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to live. How I are you going to pay for everything? My 1800 pounds. Oh my God. I'm going to figure it out. We'll make it work. We're just going to make it work. I'm like, you work in a bar, work in a bar. I don't care. I have to live with 100 people. I live with 100 people. I mean, I was staying at St. Christopher's Hostel and I hated it. And I'm just like in the stairwell on the phone to Canada being like, I'm all by myself. When I'm sitting in the stairwell, I'm not thinking that on 10 years, I'll be able to be a co-founder at like an agency in like one of the best networks in the world. But it's just like little stepping stones and little moments that kind of get you. And each role I had helped me get the next role. When I was in Toronto, I had a little vision board. So I had the BBC logo on it. I had British passport. I had a picture of like Nick Grimshaw riding a bike in a park because I thought he was like a cool London person and I wanted like cool London friends. I mean, I'm not friends with Nick Grimshaw, but I did get to work at the BBC and I do have a British passport. So I mean, two out of three, not bad. And probably out of the three, they're the ones you wanted to manifest. I mean, probably. I mean, I did see him at Dawson Superstore once. So I guess like, well, there you we know, go. There, you, the go. Hat trick. Yeah, there you go. Hat Hello, my name is Metsy Bryan, and I am co-founder and production leader at The Or. Now, this person's story spans across continents, countries, and borders. A life in the Americas, living in Canada and Honduras. Being used to being the unique one around her friends and her peers. Learning that she had to take control of her life in her formative years. Flying over to the UK with no job, just a passion, and found a living in advertising, not TV or fashion. Settling after a number of positions at an agency called Mother, she eventually flew the nest to co-found and lead production at the new agency known as The OR. Awesome. <laughs> Look at that. That's great. Does that describe your life? I, yeah, kind of, actually. More poetic than usually I would have done it. <laughs> It's beautiful. Well, let's get into the details. That is what we're looking to find out today is how did you become co-founder of The Awe? You know, your journey up from working with some of the biggest agencies on the planet and transitioning from Canada to Honduras to London, as Ash said, just going for it. You know, how does one get up the career going through the life you've gone through? So. That's what we're looking to find out today. And uh, let's take it back to where it all began. You were born in Toronto briefly and then straight off to Kenya for your first year. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, I feel like it sounds like I'm really an international jet setter. <laughs> but I guess in my family, that feels kind of normal. I guess my family, they're from, my mom's from El Salvador and my dad's from Guyana. So they emigrated to Canada. So I think that just, you know, thinking about when they were 19 and 21, them moving by themselves, I guess like in our family, it's kind of a normal thing. Um, and this even my sister's a diplomat. So she kind of took that on in her 
reg- like the rest of her life and she just moves around all the time so i guess we're a very international family so what were your parents like growing up what kind of parents were they um i don't listen <laughs> they're amazing and very loving very strict so i would say my mom was more of the nurturing one my dad was super strict um i guess he had very high standards so it was like there was no chill so you know like summer holidays when you like kids get to go play outside and stuff he would go to the teacher store which was like a store in ottawa this is when i was like primary school there was a call the teacher store and basically it was a store full of workbooks Mm-hmm. that teachers would use for class so basically it's like a, a store full of homework a kid's dream <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he would go to the teacher's store and he would buy workbooks and we would have to do them like in our summer holidays when he would drive us around he would make us do math drills i'm like this is triggering he would make <laughs> us do math drills so we'd like be driving to school driving to the store and he'd be like three times three three times four like he would do that, which was insane. What did you think of that at the time? I hated it. <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed it. I was like, can I just relax? But are you good at maths? I guess I am. <laughs> so thanks. This is all the thing. I thank him now. But at the time, I'm just like, why can't I be a normal kid? Mm. Um, and he we used to do this thing where we'd have like Encyclopedia Britannica. If you could remember that. I don't yeah, know. I remember that. Like I'm showing my age. But basically before like the Internet. You'd have to get encyclopedias or you'd have to go to the like library. So we had like a few different sets of encyclopedias and he would make us like read. And my sister's older, but she probably had it worse than me and like pick like a subject. And then we'd have to like write essays on them. Oh, wow. So like on top of school. Yeah. Yeah. This was like I thought home was school was easy. <laughs> <laughs> like that was chill. What? Home was worse. <laughs> Why do you think he did this? I think he definitely wanted us to be educated. He wanted to make sure that we were going to be, I guess, successful at the end of the day. Like even now that I think about it as like an older person, he even, so he's from the Caribbean. So he speaks though. He speaks like I'm speaking right now. So I just thought he always sounded like that. But then he goes with his family and then all of a sudden we've got an accent coming out. (laughs) But he would, I think he purposely even spoke like this to us so that we would sound i don't know whatever this accent is boring one but it would sound a little bit more i guess standard what do you think he wanted for you as children like i mean that's a great question i think now he's super proud and i think we turned out okay so i think that's what he wanted Mm. um so he did achieve that i think I guess he just wanted to make sure that we wouldn't fall by the wayside or maybe Mm. go in the wrong direction like very much wanted us to be you know proper women (laughs) even when i was like i don't know 12 i remember i was hanging out with my friends this is in ottawa still it was canada so i was getting a little preteen vibes (laughs) and i think i was hanging out with you know my friends and thinking about going to the mall and all this business like you know in the movies and he would get really mad he'd be like i don't want you to be like a valley girl or just like you know he didn't want us just to become Bubbleheads, he would call them. He didn't, I don't want to be a bubblehead. <laughs> so I think he really wanted us to have like a, a good head on our shoulders. Yeah. Well, that has been achieved for sure. Yeah. Definitely not Thanks, a bubblehead. <laughs> yes. So you're living, loving life. You're thinking about junior high. You know, it's exciting Canadian life. And bam. Yeah, they really screwed me on that one. I talked to them about this, and they have said sorry. 
Okay. <laughs> so basically, yeah, living my great lifestyle of turning into a little valley girl to their horror. <laughs> and then they told me when I was 12, my mom and dad, and we had like such a nice house too. We had a pool. Oh my God. It was like living a fantasy. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to move to Honduras. <laughs> and I was, you say? I was in shock. Like I did not believe them. So I should have maybe had a clue that it was going to happen when it was, I guess the summer before, it's just a holiday. And we went down to Honduras for a, for a holiday to see the family because that's like close to my, my mom's family's there. And I remember we went and we were, it felt like maybe we we're scoping things out, but I was just a kid. I wasn't really blocking it. They even sent me to school and I was like, I'm not coming to school. This is um, hell no. What do you mean? They just went to show you a school? Yeah, they went to okay. show me a school and I was like, this is not going to happen. And then I guess months had, we went back and months had passed. And then, um, I, came, I went to camp, like day camp, and I came back from day camp and the house was in boxes. And I was like, oh, oh. my God. It got real. That it got was real. the worst. I'm still, I hate moving. I moved like 25 times in my life, but I still hate like a household boxes. Do you remember what was the feeling that hit you when you saw those boxes? FML, probably. <laughs> that didn't exist then, but like, what is going on? Helplessness, obviously. Oh, like, man. you're kind of in denial about it. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, what's what's going on and what's going to happen to me? <laughs> and what did they say? Do you remember speaking to them when you saw this? Um, they were probably, you know what? I can't. I remember the house full of boxes and that's all <laughs> blocked. <laughs> <laughs> I think I blocked it out, but it was probably like, well, you know, we kind of discussed it and this is we've got to go. And so my sister's older. She was like, she's seven years older than me. So she wasn't coming with us. She was like 19 years old. She's going to university. So it was like, I guess it was just having to jump on this roller coaster. And as a child, you're pretty helpless. I think that's like why I love being adult because I love having the control. I'm a bit of a control freak, but I hate, I hated like being at the mercy of their decisions. So you come back from camp, but things are in boxes. And when do you fly? When? Pretty soon after. Pretty soon after. I think. We were there, you know, end of the summer because I had to go to school. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, you know what? We drove. <laughs> this is all coming back. We drove to Miami. <laughs> okay. From Canada. Ooh, how, long, how long did that take? <laughs> that's, that's quite that's a long uh, distance. They probably tried to fashion it as a holiday. <laughs> road trip. Road trip. <laughs> road yeah. trip. So we all went as a whole family. So we drove, we drove from, from Ottawa to Miami. It took like a week. We did go to Disney, so that was kind of cute. And then, and then we had to jump on the plane, and that was it. And it was like, bye. And uh, and so the city you went to, you said it wasn't then, but it is now. It has been in the recent years the murder capital of the world. It's called San Pedro Sula, and it's so, in Honduras on the north coast. So very different to Ottawa. Oh, absolutely! Like. Maybe you go to Mexico on holiday or Costa Rica, but it's different when you live there, <laughs> you know, because you're actually living in the house like it's hot there. There's no we didn't have AC. They're like bugs, like the plumbing is different. The people are different. The streets are different. Everything is like different. I'm like 12 years old. I'm like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> the, the, the dream of a Canadian movie style teenage yeah i wanted to go to smashed. high school 
with the lockers and oh, like yeah. you know say by the bell yes 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 yeah. by the bell i wanted say by the bell i did not get say by the bell no it was a nightmare what so were the kind of first things you remember from kind of landing down in honduras and being like okay this is my life now um good or bad or bad or good it was so. all bad <laughs> Oh, like props to Honduras. I don't anyone's Honduran. Like shout out to you. Well, that's I but think like, that's a good point. Like this talk but, from your. How old were you when you moved? Twelve. So your twelve-year-old perspective. I thought I hate this. Oh my god. I have no freedom here. I felt like it's like kind of a prisoner because mm. I didn't have any freedom. Like in Canada, I had a bike and I could ride my mm. bike to the crow's like my friend's house. Mm ride it to the corner store you could ride i used to ride my own bike to school have a bit of like freedom and there there's like absolutely no freedom so you know i have to get uh, my mom to drive me everywhere you feel like a bit more cooped up in the house you don't really want to go out at night um so it just felt like i was quite trapped and this is before the internet and everything we had like cable tv but we had like i don't know mtv was maybe the closest thing it was a spanish mtv as well <laughs> Did you know Spanish? Oh, yeah. Also, by the way, I didn't even know Spanish. Ouch. <laughs> I forgot Ouch. that bit. <laughs> yeah. So my Spanish was yeah. not very good um, because my mother didn't teach me. Again, you know, say my dad had this thing about the accent. Mm. I think my mother also had a thing. So now I think the world is more global. So we're a lot more open to being into different languages and we've got some great latin stuff going on we got you know bad bunny jay valvin we've got really great netflix shows so it feels like you want to connect with the culture a bit mm -hmm. more but back then it was not like that and i think that she had her own reasons for wanting to separate herself from maybe that and wanted to create her own family that was a new nucleus and it was very english so she didn't speak to me in spanish when i was like growing up so it didn't come naturally so then by the time I was like 10, she's like, oh, you should probably know Spanish. Well, it's a bit late. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd had like a tutor, but it wasn't it was a bit like a bit late. Mm. So I did have to go to school in Spanish and I yeah. did actually do well. So I guess I figured it out. An ongoing theme is like you just got to figure it out and figure out some hacks. Mm. And also I had like a Spanish English dictionary. I used to like write the answers in the dictionary, like a few little helpful things because mm. I felt like I needed a little bit more of an advantage over like my classmates but um but yeah that was another thing that just felt really like isolated because it's like a language barrier mm -hmm. it's like a cultural barrier mm -hmm. i don't have any friends there's no internet my sister's not there so it's like okay you've got nothing really and i think the point here is not that canada's a great place and honduras isn't it's the challenge of a 12 year old moving from a very comfortable environment with a nice bike and a pool <laughs> and friends with the dream of living the movie teenage years to something very different from that and not being prepared for it and that's a lot for a 12 year old to go through yeah i feel like i probably at the time it was it felt really awful it was like a really big thing that i felt like it was i was trapped it was like I was put upon, you know, why me, why me kind of thing. But I suppose it's a good lesson to learn at 12 and even to have to deal with that for like five years because it got better, but it, I never was happy. Like the whole five years I was there, like I hated it the whole time, but I tried to find ways to occupy myself. Like it's literally like sounds like prison, 
But I did try and find, you know, made some friends, you know, go to high school, join clubs, go in the choir, play sports, you know, try and find like a way to enjoy it slightly. But it was always with that idea of I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to have to figure out how to get out of here. And I need to like make sure that I don't need to depend on my parents and I need to do it for myself. Mm. And I think that that was like a huge driving force for me, for sure. Um, probably helps. It's probably like part of my ambition and stuff. Because mm. yeah. like I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting emotional now because it was like, oh, it was awful. But now I'm very thankful for it. Do you feel like that that was a lesson that your mom and dad wanted to put you through so that you then had a contrast i think so i think that they've grown up in those countries right and mm. they didn't want a little brat running around <laughs> thinking that they're living like in saved by the bell you know and i think that it was probably quite brave of them to do that because they knew that they were gonna have a teenager that hated them like the whole time but to be fair most teenagers hate their parents anyway so I guess like I might as well teach him a lesson <laughs> in the process. And now I really appreciate it. And I think that having a bit of grit and a little discomfort is really important. And so I do like to do that for myself anyway. And I don't think I would have that attitude if I hadn't known that it actually pays off in the end. If you have goals and ambitions within your personal life, career or business and would like to overcome the challenges that you face, inspire people and get to your goals faster then a coach might be the right solution for you go to weunify.co.uk forward slash coach now back to the show yeah, i'd love to know what you what you miss from honduras there's got to be something about it that you think that was unique to honduras and that was nice well i haven't gone back since the year 2000 and i've never wished to <laughs> Okay. Do you think it would be helpful and healing to go and find things? Because there's no doubt loads of amazing things about Honduras. You know what? It's a beautiful country. I'm not going to lie. It is a beautiful country. And um, and my friends, I still have uh, like friends that I met in high school. There's a chat, a group chat. And one of my best friends, actually crazy, she texted me and she just moved to the UK. My best friend from there. So wow. like, I'm oh, going to meet awesome. up with her. How cool. And I've seen her once. Like maybe five years ago, she came for work. And before that, I hadn't seen her for like 16 years. You get to the end of your sentence in Honduras <laughs> and you graduate. What's next? So I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy, but also very scared because when I went back to Canada, it was always understood that, you know, once I finished my high school there, that my parents knew that I had to go back to Canada because that there's no opportunity there. You know, mm. that was just not going to work out. So when I went back, I remember I just had to pack like one big suitcase. And you know, when you're like 17, what did I put in my suitcase? I put all my mixtapes like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is so important, guys. I need all my mixtapes because they're going to like last forever. And um, I used to like listen to the radio religiously. And then I'd want to get all the songs. Obviously, like you tape all the right songs and then I'd do that for a year and I would do everything like I do the old school channel. So I got into like oldies, all like the pop stuff, some Spanish stuff. And then at the end of the year, I would make a best of uh, volume awesome. series. Wow. <laughs> Did it have a title? Metz's? Yeah, I was like, like Metz's uh, 1996 volume one, like super creative title. <laughs> 
so you you uh you have this rug pulled underneath you go to honduras and then you said to your parents or there's an agreement with your parents that i need to finish high school in the u.s so i can get into uh, in in canada so i can get a canadian university and you go through a massive transition back yeah so that was another thing because you know when you're when you're in jail no and you're thinking about the outside world i mean i don't know i watch i watch a lot of like questionable television like you know life after lockdown and then you can see how people coming out of prison you have this fantasy but then when you get to reality it's quite difficult so obviously i wasn't in prison so i'm not trying to be dramatic but it was different to go back to a new canada five years later because it was almost like i didn't even know what canada was like anymore i wasn't the same as when i was 12. i'm now older have had more life experience i've seen more i went back to my old neighborhood with all of the kids that i went to elementary school with they lived their saved by the bell fantasy and then I'm like, you know what? This isn't me. Like, I don't want like I don't want that. And I don't I'm, I don't get it. This is not what I like. So it was like starting over again. I had one friend who like stuck with me the whole time and she's still my friend. I've been friends with her like nine years old. So she was actually like a pen pal. OK, you stayed in touch. Yeah, like pal. literally letters in like the early 90s. Wow. She would actually and she would actually send me. The OG voice notes. She sent me tapes of her talking. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. yeah. That's crazy. I still have that somewhere. Amazing. And she'd be, you know, we're like angsty teens, like, oh, life is so hard. And I'm thinking, this is, yeah, it was so and serious. You sent her tapes back? Um, I think I must have. Yeah. yeah. So we did do that. And you we need we, to find those. That I think they're so in a basement insane. in Toronto. Yeah. I think I do know where they are. But um, we used to do that. And so, and then once we got email, we used to MSN. It was actually like my first email, Hunter and email was like this weird, I don't know. It looked like some weird like DOS stuff. It wasn't even like proper interface. Wow. <laughs> and it was like one family email. So I'd get the email and then we'd print it. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> print it off and read Yeah. It. Okay. But then after um I finally got my hotmail. So then I felt like more independent. But she was one of my friends who I stayed in touch with. So when I got there, she was actually a different high school. So she was there. But in my high school, I really had to kind of start from scratch mm -hmm. and find like new friends. And I ended up the first year was like, and eh, I don't really make, make too many friends because um, I had to do two years before university. Um, but the second year I actually made friends with, I guess you could say not the cool people but you know the cool people in high school are like not really cool when you grow up like later no. <laughs> so it was like the smart people who actually were really lovely and we're still friends to this day and we kind of created this weird misfit group in our senior year and ended up having like such a great year and so i did get my little say by the bell fantasy nice. in the end with all of the misfits you have a locker i had a locker yeah look at that yeah and on your birthday, they decorate it. Wow. It's great. Okay. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. But nobody locked you in a locker. No, that can happen. no. I'm, no, I would definitely beat them up. Um, <laughs> but it was, an, yeah. it was a big transition because I realized that it wasn't all about, you know, the cars and the clothes and all this stuff. I think the friends that I did in a meeting were a little bit, had a bit more depth because they probably all had their own story. Mm. And they were all really quite focused on maybe less superficial things. So I think that's kind of finding my lane and finding my tribe, like part one. 
Okay, and then so you go through university, and that was how was that? What did you study? So actually, when I was in, so this is an Ottawa the high school situation. Ottawa like is the capital of Canada, but it's kind of like uh, the forgotten city, and it's kind of boring. <laughs> it's kind of a boring city. It's just a government town that happens to be the capital, and there's not a lot of culture going on. It's quite. There's just it's not very inspiring. Sorry to anyone from Ottawa as well. I'm sorry I'm hating on everywhere I lived, but this is my experience. <laughs> um, so when I was there, everyone though wanted to stay. So in high school, at the end, you know, everyone's thinking about where am I gonna apply to, what school am I gonna go to? And a lot of them were gonna go to either Ottawa University or Carleton University. So those are the two Ottawa univers like universities there. And um and I didn't want to stay like I had it was great to get back to Canada to get back into like that world. But once I got to Ottawa again, I felt like it was just not big enough and I wanted more. I think that's another theme. Like it's like you go somewhere and you just feel like I just feel like there's more out there mm. to experience and I want to be part of something bigger. Yeah. So when I was there finishing high school, I said, I'm going to Toronto because that's gonna be the big city shiny lights and no one from my high school it seemed like was going there and so i had in my head i'm going there so i'm gonna apply to the toronto schools i wouldn't recommend it to high schoolers but essentially like we just had booklets in like the guidance office and i was just looking at ryerson being like where can i what can i study there <laughs> i just didn't go there what can i study there and they had a program called graphic communications management and I thought, well, it sounds kind of like interesting, mm. you know, graphics, you know, maybe graphic design. So I literally applied for this program. I didn't even, let's be honest, I didn't even know what it was. Because when we got there on day one, they were like, oh, by the way, this is actually about a printing course. Oh, <laughs> wow. And so half the people the next day, they're like, nobody's there. It's like 20 people left. Oh, why? <laughs> But I had decided, I, but I, I felt like, I felt like I had made the decision and it was so hard to get in. Like even getting to Ryerson was harder than the other schools. And I had a lot of like sacrifice in the family to help me even move there. Like my sister, she won this contest and she got a cash prize and I never, I, they never really said, but I know this happened. She actually like put some of that cash prize towards me being able to afford to live in residence for that first year so fast forwarding a little bit 2004 uh you you're a production assistant in toronto yeah right? so my program i really want to thank my program because even though i didn't necessarily set out to study print <laughs> but it was also graphic art so it's still yeah. relevant i mean mm. i'm just working on print stuff today to this day so it did help mm. but it was very and this is before i guess social media and all this stuff so it was still very much like a visual arts medium and mm. very much media kind of world um so one of the things about the program was that our chair she was very strict and she had high standards and she said you have to get an internship in your third year in the summer if you don't get it you don't graduate you can't do the next year you can't do your final year so you better get it. We'll do a job fair, but there's not enough jobs for everybody. So you need oh. to sort it out. Well, stress. <laughs> so I went to the job fair, didn't get the job, which was so nerve wracking. Cause you imagine like all your peers are on the job fair 
it's a giant hall. It's like speed dating and they have a gong and it's like this legendary thing for the program. So they do two years to do the internship. They do graduate and she brings all her like network and everyone there. And you have a you have to sign up for who you want to talk to. You're like 12 people. You've got like maybe five, 10 minutes each. You go and you have to speed date interview and a gong and then you move to the next and it's like two hours long. When you're a student, I mean, now that'd probably be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all interviews in a day. Well, in about an hour. So yeah. Two hours. <clears throat> yeah. It was it was pretty intense. Um, but so I was an intern and I remember I was like, I really wanted to get, you know, jobs at a couple places. And, you know, after the job fair, everyone's like, oh, well, this person call me back. This person call me back. And then it's like so much pressure. And if you didn't get the call back, you think I'm a loser. No one's going to pick me. I'm never going to have a career. What am I doing? And all these like things that you fear. Um, so I didn't get any. <laughs> so I didn't actually get any job from the job fair. How did you feel? Uh really stressed and like how i'm never gonna make it in life <laughs> like my whole life is over basically wow. um so i had to go on like online i was like literally on job.com or whatever <laughs> trying to find a job in the industry and they're like it doesn't have to be it just you just need to find any role in the building so i found this job so i went online and they needed like a receptionist and so, and another guy had gotten a job there as like more in, like a print thing. And so I'm like, I'm going to go in for the receptionist job. And I got the job as a receptionist, like amazing. It was like a little, like, it was like a print production place, um, like large format stuff. And I remember I was a receptionist for like a couple of weeks. And the guy there, there was a production manager and he was a little, I don't know. He was old, old school guy. Um, I think maybe looking back, he might have had like some personal issues, but I remember he was old friends with the owner and they were outside once, just outside of the office and they're yelling at each other and it's going off out there. And I'm like, what is going on? And basically they have this huge spat and the production manager, he's like, F this, I'm not having it. I'm out. He just storms off and that's it. He's gone. He's quit. <laughs> oh, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, what's going on? What is this drama? And so then he comes back. And I think the owner was like, yeah, I think he's just quit. Um, but he was like, you know what, though? Do you want to do you want to like try doing his job? <laughs> <laughs> and his job was he was like a production manager. Like wow. he was basically running all of like the orders and doing all the costing and getting the, the everything out the door. Wow. And I'm literally he's been doing this for like God knows many years. I'm literally a receptionist. <laughs> but for some reason, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And he's probably like, if she can do it, I'm saving loads of money. Yeah. But I wasn't thinking that at the time. I'm just <laughs> yeah. thinking this is an opportunity, opportunity and I'm going to take it even though I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm. But as you said, you're on your own. I'm on my you own. Gotta I got to do it. And yeah. I think like when you see an opportunity, just take it. Mm. Just be open. Just take it again. Like lead with don't be scared of your decision. Lead with like a passion and love. Don't lead by fear. So when he said, do you want to do it? I said, I'm going to do it. And actually, I ended up doing that job for the whole summer and getting tons of experience amazing and having a really great time there and, and it doing it well 
And I, I smashed it. I'm not going to lie. Like I did it and I, you know, made friends with all the suppliers and I really enjoyed working with the team there. So in the end, it became like not just a receptionist job because I mean, that was fine. But this actually was preparing me for the next thing. Mm. And I remember when it was time for job fair, for final job fair, for graduating job fair. I was doing the speed dating thing. Again, it's a little easier when you've done it before. And there's one, there was a company I really wanted to work for because they did print stuff, their photography. They were really cool. They had a cool location. The office was really good. It didn't feel like some stuffy old print stuff. It felt like really modern. Mm -hmm. And they were doing more than just, they did like retouching. It was kind of more of a studio. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's where I feel like I'll fit in. And I remember when I sat down and the guy who's interviewing, he was like, oh, you worked for Scott. Well, any guy who works for Scott's a friend of mine. And I think that it was just like some miracle that the guy that I ended up working for in my internship and I stayed for the year ended up being friends with the one who actually really helped me in my career and was actually someone who ended like was a big, big person who helped me get into the agency world. Wow. So you never know who's going to help you. So just take an opportunity <laughs> and do your best yes. and don't yeah. be a jerk. <laughs> Say yes and then work it out how you yeah. do it. Pretty much. <laughs> and so your your next experience, you move you move into this company and, and how was that TI group? Yeah, so I worked at TI group for five years. It was my first job out of school. And I think I ended up staying there the longest because I didn't really know <laughs> any better, right? Um, I was still like early 20s. So I remember I started that job. I was like the youngest person in the whole building. So I felt like like I had a lot to learn. The guy, Mike, who hired me, he was super just, you know, those people that are just lovely and really supportive. He was super supportive of me and he really just appreciated like what I was doing. I was definitely helping his business, but he really supported me and appreciated me. So he'd like, he's like, oh, we're going to go to lunch with the agency. You know, he'd wine and dine them and let me come with him. And I'd see like the agency office downtown. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Or I'd go to these restaurants and then, you know, feeling like this is like the fantasy world that you dream about. Mm -hmm. That's when I got the idea of like, I need to go, I need to go to agency side. But it took a while to really understand that world because no one was there telling me it existed. Mm -hmm. And and usually in the start of your career, especially, is the time where mistakes are made. You're learning, difficult. Were any memories from where things didn't work out so well? Well, you know what? I spent a lot of time trying not to make mistakes. I know that sounds like a cliche, but when you're like a woman and you're black and my dad was like very much like, don't ever make a mistake. <laughs> I was like really trying. It was very much like, don't make a mistake. Um, so I think that to be honest, I made more mistakes when I came to London <laughs> mm -hmm. than I did then because I was so almost too careful. Yeah. I would, I think the mistake that I made, I made was not making enough mistakes mm, okay. or being too afraid to step out of line, just being a little bit too rigid. And, and maybe that kind of slowed me down a bit. And maybe that's why I stayed for five years because I was just wanted to stay in my lane where, and not make a mistake. Where do you think that? rigid playing by the rules and doing trying to do everything perfect gets you in your career do you think well i think it's like it's hard because in the beginning i feel like it helped me establish myself as someone that could be trusted mm -hmm. in that role yeah but it almost becomes like you be you're kind of in this worker bee scenario whereas like a really good worker bee 
Um, but that didn't really allow for a lot of growth. So I suppose in the early stages, it's really good to find that discipline and build that trust amongst people to know that you can be relied on. Mm -hmm. But moving forward, I think I could have probably been a little bit more myself, a little bit more personality, a little bit more um, vocal about things. And it took me a, it took me that time to find my voice, I think, mm. even within that company, mm. which I ended up doing a very dramatic exit from. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> tell us. Yes, tell us some of that, please. Well, basically, I had been at this company for five years and it was going through like a restructure. So they had a new boss come in and he was a real. We didn't I didn't appreciate and align with his views. Let's say it that way. And he had his wife there, too. And she I didn't appreciate her attitude. Let's say it that way. So I was thinking, you know, over time, you're thinking, I already know that I need to get out of print. I need to expand because now it's like Facebook is brand new. Like my space was out there and I was getting a sense that there's like more there's something is on the rise. Do you know when you feel that mm, like yeah. something's on the rise here? And I can't be stuck in this print world because this is going to get obsolete pretty quickly. I remember feeling that. So that was in my mind and also like agency world and all this stuff. So this new guy comes in. I'm thinking, well, maybe this is a sign because I don't really like this guy and I'm not really vibing with him. And one day I was in the back room trying to sort something out and his wife comes up to me about something or other and she just yells at me. She yelled at me in front of everybody and i thought absolutely not like do not yell at me period i might not be a big shot but i know that that doesn't feel right mm. and i feel like i deserve more respect than that so that was just like the straw that broke the back her yelling at me and me really kind of surging within myself and feeling you know that doesn't feel right you know mm. i don't want to take this mm. you know feel if i self-respect you feel you know when you're like if i stay in this they might just chip away at me until mm. i'm like nothing left and i already knew that i just wanted more mm. so i remember we had a like a chat in the guy's office because he was having chats with everyone now you know one-on-one's like oh this is a new leadership and we were in his office which had like the big window to like the press room because you know the big boss it's very old-fashioned the big boss like stares out to like all the workers mm. and so the window is there and i remember sitting there and i think all the guys in the press room we're all homies because you need them to be your friends to get all the jobs done for you and they all knew that like i wasn't happy because they had witnessed the um the dressing down <laughs> in the back mm -hmm. is this the same day or a different day it was like the next day right. or the day after um and so the, the big boss, he gave me this big old spiel about how the direction they wanted to go in. And am I in and am I out? Because, you know, we really want you to be able to stay, be in line with what we're trying to do. And I just thought, this guy is really just making my skin crawl. Like, I'm just, I am not going to do this. And I remember I typed out the letter of my resignation before, like, just in case, put in an envelope, just like put in my pocket. And I remember the moment where I was just like sitting there listening to him go on and on thinking, no, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And he's like, so what do you think? Are you in or are you out? And I was like, took out the envelope from my pocket and I put it on the table and I slid it over and I was like, I'm out. And then Look all the that. press room guys, I could see they were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was, was his like, reaction? he was just like, 
stunned. He wasn't ready. I think he wasn't ready. And of course, like, I'm still quite young. He's probably like, who's this little, who's this little girl right now like giving me this attitude but i just and you know by the way i didn't have another job by the way i didn't have another job to go to i did have like a flat i had to pay for i really hadn't like lined up anything else mm, wow. <laughs> like i was hoping it would work out but i just knew i had to do it mm -hmm. and sometimes you have that feeling and intuition yeah. i just go with it always yeah. Yeah. i always just go with it so after that, I felt really good, but also I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to figure this one out real, real quick. Um, but you know what? The universe hooked me up. I was very lucky. Like I actually, I'm, so I'm not a model, but I had like one modeling gig from street casting. Yeah. And I actually got that gig as soon as I quit. And that helped me that month. So you so, had no, you struggling for money that month. Yeah. It's like, I quit my job. I have to pay for my stuff. Mm -hmm. I ha I no don't have another job, in. and then I got this gig. And how much did it get you this gig? It was like enough for the month. It was basically the wow. month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brilliant. I was in a cell phone ad, mobile phone cool. ad. Yeah, how, <laughs> how, <about that? laughs> how did you feel when you got it? You're like, oh, I was just really, I was relieved. I was like, you know what? It's gonna be okay. And I remember I did this other thing too, because like the secret had just come out. Remember that book, The yeah, Secret, yeah. which is a bit controversial, but I was like really into it. Mm. Hashtag Oprah. And I also had written down um, that I wanted to like make more money. I was like, I want to make this much more money. It was like, to me, a lot more than I was making. And I put it, I wrote it down and How I put much it, was it, it was like 60,000. Okay. Um, and what were you earning at the time? Like maybe like 50. Okay. So back in then I was like, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, now it's probably not so much in Canadian, but that's then it was Canadian like, dollars. that's going to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember I wrote it down on, okay, you're going to laugh. I put it as my Blackberry background. Oh, <laughs> Blackberry days. Yeah. Blackberry background. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I so I'd look at it every day. And, um, and I remember I was sitting around, I was talking to this agency that I had been working with. They were like basically the only agency I had a connection with. And um, I remember just when I was just about to give up being like, what am I going to do? They sent a, they called me and they're like, oh, you, you can come in, you know, it's a freelance gig, but like, this is the salary. It was the amount that I wanted. Really? 60,000? Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it works. Mm. <laughs> and even though it was freelance, my attitude was like, it's not freelance. This is forever. Yeah. Mm. So even in my head now, it was never freelance, but technically it was. I was just in denial because I'm like, I'm going to act like I'm permanent. Yeah. And I'm going to just put my foundation down here because this is it. Um, so the, I, it ended up becoming permanent. But I just the mindset was like I was just so determined. But mm. it felt like that was going to be mm. the thing. And, and sometimes is, I get that feeling. Sometimes I don't. But when the feeling is there, I go with it. And this is Ben Simon. Ben Simon Byrne. Ben Simon Byrne. Yeah. You stayed there for two years. Yeah. Lovely, lovely agency. And then you decide london london is yeah. calling how does that come about yeah. well london had always been calling since the spice girls ah, <laughs> okay london had been calling for a while um i was always obsessed with the culture even from high school right but obviously that was i needed to focus on just getting to canada you know just one step at a time but it was always there in the background and i think as i got older I met like my best friend when I was like 26 and she had the same obsession 
And so it felt like we just were feeding our obsession with each other. And it felt like this is the time because there's a scheme for Canadians to come to the UK and there's like a cap on the age. And I felt like after the first year, Ben Simon Byrne, it was really fun. I loved it. But again, that itchy, like itchy feet, there's more, there's more for me. Toronto is great, but maybe there's more out there. Mm -hmm. And if I don't go now, I'm not getting any younger. I'm not getting older every day. So I need to make this move, period. It was another feeling that I had to go with. I couldn't ignore it or maybe I'm just like denying myself. Mm -hmm. So I had really no idea how to approach it, to be fair. I was just going to get my visa get the bare minimum to go because they had to be like certain like amount of money you have to save and that was it i was like i'm just gonna do it and i'm gonna work it out period so after the second year of ben simon i tried to everything that year save the money came to visit just to double check mm -hmm. my best friend was supposed to come to move with me she didn't but that's another story i'll tell you later and i just told all my friends i was gonna do it and I secretly got the visa without my work knowing. And then when I did get the visa, I told them. Okay. You only have to give two weeks notice as well there. Wow. Just like the movie. So two weeks later, you were on the plane? Pretty much. I moved on my um, birthday. Mm. Yeah, I moved on like three days after my birthday. And to be honest, I really, if, if I did that today, I, that's crazy. Because I didn't really have any friends here. I knew one person as a minor acquaintance. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to live. How I are you going to pay for everything? How was I going to pay for yeah. it? With like this, like my uh, 1,800 pounds. Oh my God. It was stupid. Wow. 1,800 pounds has to <laughs> let you survive for you don't know how long at this point. Well, I, yeah. And there's no job fair with a gong. That you there's can just no gong. There's no gongs. There was no gong. That's why I look back and I think, well, my mom, my dad was really mad at me for doing it, by the way. He was so mad. He was, a f but he was scared for me because he probably was thinking this is a little bit reckless. What did he say to you? Don't move there. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to the point. So no, the no, no, no long lectures, Don't move just there. three words. <laughs> um, but to be fair, I just felt like, what's the worst that can happen? I guess I'll have to go back to Canada, I suppose. I've moved countries before. It's going to work out. In my head, I just, I'm going to figure it out. We'll make it work. We're just going to make it work. I'm like, we're going to bar, we're going to bar. Mm. I don't care. I have to live with 100 people. I live with 100 people. Are you an agency or brand that would like to work with our production company, Unity and Motion? If so, contact us at unityandmotion.com. We produce commercials and social content for brands such as Chanel, Amazon, Reebok, Harrods, The Ritz, and many more. Now back to the show. Mm -hmm. I'll work it out. So, yeah, I do remember, <laughs> I remember when I like moved here and it was like the first day and for some luck, like I was very lucky. Actually, I'm going to rewind because this is like quite a big stepping stone is mm -hmm. when I was in Toronto, I went to a restaurant and a girl from my work was there from Ben Simon and she, I didn't really talk to her much, but she was like in creative services and I was like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? I heard like you're moving to London because she was uh, moving because of her husband got a job here. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I've been talking to this recruiter. She's been really, really good. So you know what? Like you're moving. Oh, you're moving. I didn't know that. Here, take her contact. 
And I said, well, yeah, because I was looking online at like different recruiters and, and, you know, that's not such a big thing in Canada. So it was like a whole new world. And she's like, she's really nice. So I reached out and she was so lovely and so supportive. And she's like, oh, my God, this is great. This is the place. This is the type of roles you could do. These are the places I think you'd be great. I love your attitude. You just got like a really just fresh, different take on things, even though I, I really had no idea what I was doing. But she really just bought into my personality. And so she lined stuff up for me when I got here. And I didn't really know what I was doing. But I guess that I was like, there's something there, you know, there's mm. opportunities. So I'm just going to have to seize the opportunity and make it work. And the, so the day after I moved, I mean, I was staying at St. Christopher's Hostel in a room with like five, seven girls. It was ridiculous. It was wow. like the cheapest room. And I hated it because A is like a million girls and I used to live alone. They had the shower. We had to press the button where the water oh, comes out. Oh, and it comes back out again. Oh, my God. Oh. I'm like, what, what? Am I back in jail? <laughs> Am I ever nurse again? <laughs> like, I felt like I had really downgraded. <laughs> and so this could just, you know, and I'm just like in the stairwell on the phone to Canada being like, I'm in a stairwell in the St. Christopher's and I don't know what I, and I'm all by myself. Like, this what, what have I done? <laughs> This is not how the Spice Girls live. This no. is not. This is like I'm at the bottom right yeah. now. Um. So I remember that morning I woke up. I had this interview. It was at DDB. It's pretty good. Oh, so describe what DB DDB yeah, is for yeah, people who don't know. Oh, DDB is now Adam and Eve DDB. So it's like huge global network, super successful. This is in 2012. Yeah, they is were that... DD. This is D This is literally right before they were Adam and Eve DDB. I see. 2014, I think it was. Yeah, it was like 2012, 13, like. But basically, when I, yeah, so they were still an iconic agency, VW, like huge, right? Um, so I remember my recruiter, she's like, listen, I know this guy, it's an early 8.30 meeting, so you should get him a coffee. And I was like, really? She's like, trust me, trust me, trust me. I would never usually go and bring a coffee to my interviewer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she gave me that advice. And so I'm like, I'll do whatever you say. Um, so I get there and I give him a coffee and he's just really happy. seems like really grateful for that. So it's like amazing tick. But I hadn't, I just moved to like London the day before and I hadn't heard about all the different vernacular we use, especially in the industry. Like they call planners, like strategists, planners. I didn't know that. So I remember in this interview and he's going on about the relationship between planners and creatives. And I really had no idea what he's talking about. I'll be honest. <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> and i just made up some answer and i think he was happy with it and i was thinking wow. like what am I getting away with this one <laughs> just smile and just be positive and just try and be someone that someone that they want to have around basically yeah. and i found out later that day that like i got it, it was freelance i got it and Amazing. i was like oh my god i got a job like the day i moved here at wow. ddb whoa oh my wow. god this is going to work this out. This is going to work Trust out. Trust my mm. intuition. It worked. Mm. So I have to say, you know, when you move to London and you meet all these people, I met a lot of Canadians in the network and they're like, oh man, it's so hard here. And it's like really gloomy and it's like going to knock you down. And like, yeah, I've had a few of these weird situations like nightmare landlords and like toxic people. But overall getting that opportunity in day one it just changed my whole attitude mm. and i thought you know what it's gonna be fine it's gonna work out so yeah did i run out of money of course i ran out of money 1800 pounds is not enough 
but my sister lent me some <laughs> and I paid her back. Right. So, you know, you figure it out and, you know, create a network again. The friend that let me stay with him, my very light acquaintance that I had met in a park once from Canada, who was so generous and let me stay at his house until I got my own place. Wow. He and he's still a good friend of mine today. And we're like, you know, we created like a new network here too. Mm -hmm. So some really key relationships there that you had through introductions or family or a park, you know, the recruiter to your sister. You never know. Guy. You never know who's going to help you. Like, you know, when you just want, you're thinking, I want to get to this point. I want to get to that point. I mean, when I'm sitting in the stairwell or taking a shower with a stupid button, I'm not thinking that, you know, on 10 years, I'll be able to be a co-founder at like an agency and like one of the best networks in the world. But it's just like little stepping stones and little moments that kind of get you. And each role I had helped me get the next role. Mm. So DDB was the first role. And when I was there, they announced the merger with Adam and Eve. I was freelance, so I ended up going to Gray for a bit. But then when they set up their department, the guy who was new, the department head, he worked with me at, at DDB when I was freelance. He was mm -hmm. one of like the senior, like he was a project director. Right. So now he's actually the boss and he mm. remembered me. Mm. So then he's asking me for a job. So then I get to work at Adam and Eve and we win like can agency of the year. And uh, suddenly I'm working at the best agency in the world mm. because of that. And it's like, well, this is a bit of a, it's a bit of a lucky break, but also like I'm, tr I'm working hard. I'm trying my best to make the best impression. What do you think was the key thing that you did or about you that got you those positions and got you recognized and people wanted to work with you? I think to be honest, when I was in university, the chairwoman, she had one piece of advice and it was attitude is everything. And I think I basically paid my whole tuition just to learn that because i can't remember anything else really <laughs> but that's the best piece of advice because it's having an ad a, a positive good attitude i didn't know everything especially when i started i was basically learning as i went but not obviously but being a solutions focused person have a good attitude solutions focused be helpful i wanted to be someone that they remembered mm -hmm. and someone that they think it's better when she's around whether it's that she knows everything or actually sometimes people just want someone fun to be around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How yeah. do you think they would describe your personality at that time? Um, I probably, I, I remember actually when I was like my first day at DD or my first Friday at DDB and I was like, oh my God, everyone here is British. This is so cool. <laughs> and I was hoping I was doing a job and I went on Facebook and the girl, I guess the girl added me who was sitting in front of me on Facebook. And I went and looked on her page and then she, on the day I started, she had written like, oh, my God, this girl was started. She's so cool. I'm so glad she's here. And I was like, wow, I'm so excited. And I think maybe they just drive me so just different. Honestly, probably a breath of fresh air, potentially like mm -hmm. that's how my recruiter used to describe me, because I'm just like this random black Canadian girl just showing up. Never probably seen something like that before. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wanted to, I'm very curious and I just want to know you and I just want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And when they invited me on Friday to the pub, I was like, this is really big. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it meant so much more to you because you'd spent so much time alone or so much time, you know, in environments where you did feel like maybe an outsider and this is a chance to like be part of something? 
I think that when I was in high school, that's definitely how I felt. And then as I grew and found the people that I aligned aligned with more, especially when I moved to Toronto and go to went to university, I felt like each step of independence is a step to open up yourself to just be more yourself. So I feel like by the time I got to London, obviously it was really a different situation, but I felt like all I could do was have my personality. That's all, I, that's all I've got. I mean, I don't have a flat and I don't have much money <laughs> uh, and I don't have an experience here. So what can I do is just have my, my personality mm. and see how I can connect with someone. What yeah. can I learn from you? And maybe what can we connect on? I think that I'm just very open to making friends. So I will just go for it. <laughs> how did the opportunity with, so you spent two years mm -hmm. at Adam and Eve. Yeah. And then opportunity comes up to work with McCann, another huge global agency um, as project director. How does that come about? Well, um, Adam and Eve was amazing and I was doing more of like a production role there. And obviously it's super prestigious, um, but I really did enjoy project management as well. And so I did have an opportunity. McCann was starting a new department. And so when I went to McCann, I met Joe House, who was um, the head of project management there. And she was just like, I'm still friends with her now. I just loved her energy. I loved her spirit and her passion for project management and what she wanted to build. And it just, I just, just connected with her straight away. And I thought, this is an amazing jump. It's kind of taking a steer away from production, but this is actually what I love as well is building teams and finding the right range of people and that connection and the communication and what can we build and what energy can we create together so to me it felt like a really great step up and it's really hard when you're foreign to any foreigners listening because you have to get sponsored to stay in the country so you're not just taking any job your job is your livelihood but it's also like your life and for someone who just was so obsessed with living here there was a lot of pressure to do well in the work because if you get fired, you're kicked mm, out the country, country. Mm. Um, which is not. So there's like a lot of pressure there. Like I can't get fired and I can't really quit either unless I have something lined up. I can't be sliding the envelopes across desks anymore. That is the <laughs> thing of the past. So basically, it's not just a, even a simple thing where I meet her. I think she's amazing. And then she offers me and I say, cool. I meet her. She's amazing. She has to like me a lot more because they have to pay for my sponsorship. Mm -hmm. They have to spend three months doing the paperwork. Um, so every job you've got up to this point, the companies had to put in up until the BBC was the last extra one. Extra, yeah, yeah. Work. So it was also a small miracle that they wanted me enough to do that when they could pick someone else that didn't have to do that. So I feel very grateful for that, and I think yeah, that's a big win for me for yeah. sure because that's not common usually. And also to all the foreigners, sometimes you think, oh, my gosh, that's too much. No one's going to do that for me. I'm, gonna, I'm stuck. But we're not stuck. Don't be stuck. Keep searching and keep looking and keep positive because it happens. It happened to me. It happened to other people, too. Yeah. And I was able to build a career as well as um, stay in the country. <laughs> and mm. now I'm a citizen. Whoop. Um, yeah. But that was an added layer. If you can think about that, like how how much more you really want to make a good impression on your work because you want to make sure that you don't get deported. Yeah. So <laughs> like kind of chunking down on that a little bit further. So what 
would be, let's say your three top tips for someone who's non-native to the UK to, to being noticed and being able to be sponsored if they're in an organization already. So they've got their foot in the door a little bit. So if they've got their foot in the door and they're looking to to get sponsored, my I had a tactic when I came. My first two years were I didn't need to be sponsored. But the whole scheme on the first two years is supposed to be you've come to the UK and you're young and you enjoy it and then you leave. But in my head, when I moved here, I'm like, I'm never moving back. I knew in my heart I'm here to stay. So the first half of that two years, um, I was trying to find a place to call it, like to be my forever, I'll say, quote unquote, forever place, a place where I could make a good impression so that they'd want to sponsor me. So the first year I was freelancing a little bit, went to Gray. And then when Adam and Eve came up, I jumped at the chance to go to Adam and Eve. And once I had I, I said, Adam and Eve, I have a year here where they don't have to sponsor me and I'm going to do my best job so that they'll want to. So if someone's in that situation on their like an emote, like a tier two mobility, try and find a place that you can stay for a while and make a really good impression and, and make your, I guess, your intentions be known so that you can get sponsored. Mm. And for people that are in a job and maybe on a tier two, people who are in that situation will know all this lingo I'm talking about. If you're in a tier two and you really are ready to make a move, um, don't just feel defeated put your feelers out there and just act like anybody else. Because once you go and you meet that person, you make the connection, they want you, it happens and they, they do offer. So when you said make yourself, make your intentions known, who did you speak to and what did you say at Adam and Eve? I mean, at Adam and Eve, it was my managers. I said, I love it here. I need sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Will you sponsor me, please, please uh, give me sponsorship. Um, so that was that one. And then for McCann, it's like you have to be quite transparent about it. Like, I know that there was one job that I didn't get because I, uh, they didn't want to sponsor me. So it all worked out because I got another one that was better. But that was the only time. I don't remember. Right? It was the only time I didn't get a job here. Mm. And I think it's because of that. But it all kind of circled back and worked out in the end. Um, so there's, you know, not everyone's going to do it, but it's possible for sure. And then... So you have your time at McCann as a project director. And uh, how does the BBC creative role come around? Well, that was crazy because when I was in Toronto, I had a little vision board because I'm all about that stuff. Hashtag Oprah. So then I had like a little vision board when moving to England, to London, trying to manifest. So I had like um, the BBC logo on it. I had a pass British passport. I had... <laughs> This is really lame. I had a picture of like Nick Grimshaw riding a bike in a park <laughs> because I thought he was like a cool London person and I wanted like cool London friends. <laughs> so I remember, I mean, I'm not friends with Nick Grimshaw, but I did get to work at the BBC and I do have not a British bad. passport. So I mean, two out of three, not bad. And probably out of the three, they're the ones you wanted to manifest. <laughs> I mean, probably. I mean, I did see him at Dalson Superstore once. So I guess like, you know, you got them all. But, um, but I remember being the BBC is very iconic, obviously British brand. Yeah. Mm. And so that was always a dream. Even before I was like, how do I work there? Um, but there was no role. I didn't know a role for me there. But I was at McCann and I was pretty happy there. And I got this phone call. It's really like oh, like random phone call on my land on my uh, maybe it's like my work phone. Mm. And it's like, hello, it's some random lady. And she's like, oh, hello. Uh, my name is so-and-so and yeah you don't know me 
but um there's this role at the bbc and do you want to talk about it <laughs> i'm like what <laughs> is this like my dreaming right now mm. and she said yeah do you want to meet uh i'm like in the area and i said yeah i'm gonna meet me like now so i left work like right away wow i like left and ran down the street in holborn to meet this woman and she's like well i'm there i'm at bbc creative and there are these ecds there and they were in uh, the lift and i got the brief and they said who would you want like for this role like who would you want and they were like metzty and i had a i hadn't worked at adam and eve for like a while so they hadn't seen me progress mm -hmm. as a project director so it was for head of project management so definitely not the production side it was for project direction mm -hmm. They knew me more as like creative producer. They knew me as a baby, baby Mets in London, first two years. Aiden Laurent, love you so much. Thank you. Um, they had just said that in the lift. Wow. And, and she just found me. No wow. way. And I'm like, that's amazing. And I loved working with them. They're so great. I mean, they've done such iconic work and they're still doing iconic work. So you got um, you got an interview then? And or they just Yeah, said they got the me an interview. Your... I was so nervous. They sent me to the wrong building. Oh, no. <laughs> so many BBC. I remember being so nervous. Sent me to the wrong building. Is they this White the, City? Where they you sent at? me to the Oxford Circus building, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Why well, no one's coming down?" They're like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, it's the White City." Ran to White City. That's a long way. Wow. Yeah, I'm thinking this is a comedy of errors. It's never gonna work out. But I was super nervous. Super you must nervous. Have been quite late then after that. Yeah, it was late. It wasn't my fault though. Like no, just to clarify not. that. <laughs> yeah. But I remember going in being like, well, this is it. Like, Were you, you know. thinking about this mood board at this time? I think the mood board's always in my heart. Nick, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I was just like this. I, I felt in my heart like this has to work. Yeah. But that was a lot of fear being like, if it doesn't work, I'll be so crushed. I'll be so crushed. But I went in there. I put on my best outfit. I just chatted to them. I tried to be the most authentic self and I tried not to panic because I knew by that point in my life that being nervous and being panicky and trying to overthinking things doesn't usually work. Just go in and try and make that connection. And it really did. I connected with them so much and I was just like, this is it for me. I want it. I want it so bad. And all my friends were like, this is totally you. And you know, Wanting to work at the BBC, I mean, when I wanted to work there, there was no role. You never know what's going to change and what opportunities and what magical things. But I guess working well with everyone, Adam and Eve, and making a good impression, that actually paid off in the end. So, you again, you never know who's looking or what's going to happen. They might say no then. They might say yes later. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just another, I guess, a situation where... I feel very luck lucky, very fortunate um, to have just have the timing work. <laughs> mm, yeah. Grey Matters new business tip for today. Network. Get out and meet people now that you can. Networking is a great way to build relationships and to raise your profile. New business wins can often stem from a chance meeting at an event and you can build rapport and trust so much quicker in person. Grey Matters is a straight-talking business development consultancy that empowers agencies to position, market, and sell themselves for new business success. And you got the job? Yeah, I got the job. <laughs> I got the job, and it was 
Ah, oh, it was such a great job. I loved it. And I what just, were you I, working yeah, on? Yeah, what did you get to do there? So I was like head of project management there at BBC Creative. And, and so that's like a creative their in-house, agency. in-house agency. So it was like an in-house agency. What kind of work? So we did everything. We did all their big campaigns. They still do. Um, so some of the like the stuff that we worked on was like the World Cup tapestry ad. We got to do like the amazing like Christmas like uh, animations with like the father daughter. I remember that one. I worked on some of the brands that I loved, like Radio One, which I'm just a big fan of. So you know, being able to just shoot with like Greg James and being able to do RuPaul's Drag Race, that was like probably the highlight of my life. Working on Luther, um, you know, Dracula, doing like the really cool billboards. Like we did such amazing work there, and I love just. Everyone was really down to earth, especially coming from an agency world. Everyone's super down to earth, obsessed with the product, great vibes, good. I just loved it. Absolutely. Like it really fulfilled that dream that I had. What do you think your younger self would have said if you told her you'd be doing all this stuff? Oh, my God. I'm living the dream. (laughs) When I was at RuPaul's Drag Race taping and Ru came out, I was like, I can't even believe my life. <laughs> How did I get here? This is iconic moment in life. Like, so, so lucky. Can you p- tell people about it who don't know? So if you don't know about RuPaul's Drag Race, you got to get, come on, guys, get with it because it's only the best show on television. But basically, <laughs> it's like a drag race, I guess, competition. You can catch it on BBC. It's a UK, but it's also a worldwide franchise. There's like American ones. They have the Netherlands, Spain, Australia. That season's not so great. But RuPaul is a very, I think, inspirational person anyway. Um, so that was a, just a culmination of like everything I ever wanted <laughs> and being able to be a part of like the first ever UK season. That nice. was so cool. From BBC Creative, you move on in February 2020 to VMLY and R. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that position and what you did. So there. to be honest, BBC was amazing and i was so sad to leave but i had a bit of itchy itchy feet i guess like you wanted more i wanted more Mm. again operations director how was that experience i mean that's you're stepping up into very senior roles now yeah so after the head of project management role which was i guess my first taste of being management and you know going into a new role i was very nervous and i wasn't sure how to approach it but I think actually Joe House, who was my um, like my boss at McCann, she gave me some really great advice. And uh, she now does like management training and has a courageous leaders club. So she's definitely I was very lucky to have a boss that's so focused on that. What was Be- the best advice she gave you? I mean, she gave me a book to read. I said, what am I doing? Um, so she gave me a book the first 90 days when I resigned from McCann. OK. And she's like, this book is really helpful. So you said to her, I don't know, you got this job as operations director. No, well, this is a head of project management, kind of like getting into management. And I I said, I'm going to this role. I've not done this. And she gave me that book the first 90 days. And she's like, this is really helpful. Read that. So I actually did read it. And I felt like it gave me some tools to prepare. And then when I actually went into the role, I, I felt like I need to do an audit. And that's kind of my style. It's like, before you come in guns blazing, get a lay of the land mm. and understand who's there, what's the vibe, good, bad. How Ch- do you do that? Walk us through. Well, it's one. I talk to everybody. I went. Yeah. I talked to every single person when I started BBC. I talked to 
everyone on the team on like every team i talked to all the heads of marketing i talked to the heads of my media and what do you ask them what's the agenda i the say meeting? what's what's going on what do you like what do you not like like what's been a problem what do you want to see what's the ideal situation what can i do to make your life easier and then see if there's any common ground it's just like a really it sounds so simple but i remember with the head of bbc one after she said mess is so great like you just came and just listened to us and it made a big, I guess it just made a big impact. So is this your advice for people stepping up to maybe a management position or is it to talk to everybody? Don't forget to talk and listen and get different sides of the story because a lot of managers maybe become successful because they're good at their craft. But once you become a manager, it's not about your craft not all the time. It's about your people skills. And some people just don't have that coming as natural to them, which is fair enough. Mm -hmm. But then you have to learn how to do that. But there's no training for that. There is training, but not necessarily readily available when you get the job. People just assume you're going to figure out how to be a good people person. <laughs> but it's not everyone's forte. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, people just want to be heard. And you just need to listen and understand that as much as we evaluate our team, they need to evaluate us too. And one of my evaluations actually at the BBC was to have more one-on-ones because I'm like, I sit with them. It's enough. And they're like, no, we want more time with you. You don't think that because you don't want to think oh, my team wants more time with me. I'm so special. I'm so important. <laughs> but actually, that was feedback. So mm. more is better. You know, it's hard when you're really busy and you don't have time, but it does make a difference because they're the ones who are actually on the ground getting it done. You need to understand what's going on with them. From here as operations dire director. You move towards November 2020. How does your new position come about? I get a phone call being like, well, the Mother Network is starting a creative agency, uh, a new independent one, and they want production as one of their founding members. And give some context for those not in the industry listening. Mother? So Mother Network is like pretty iconic independent creative agency. They're still independent. So... Not like you may be another bigger, I guess, WPP publicist, Omnicon, but they are still independently owned. But there's Mother London, there's Mother New York, Shanghai, LA, and a whole suite of other independent, like creative businesses that are within that network. And they're one of the largest. One of the largest independents. Mm. Yeah. So they've done such great work for the past 20 years. And I mean, they're just one of the places that everyone loves. And it's one of the places that when I came here, it was just like mother. <laughs> and, and any examples of the work that they've done over the years? I mean, they've done amazing work. They did all the KFC work and like transform that brand. They do like all the Ikea work. I mean, So when KFC ran out of chicken. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. The FCK stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I them. mean. That was, yeah, that was them. And, so and Ikea as well. Ikea, just for years and years doing an amazing Ikea work. And I mean, they have a whole suite of brands, but they've been they've been doing this for so long. Um, so being a part of that network, pretty, pretty prestigious. And also being independent is really nice because I've always worked for really, really big places. And I think that it would it was kind of like an, a nice idea to go a little bit more independent. So what did you think when you got that call? I was like, they don't want me. <laughs> mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I thought, oh, well, it's very production heavy. I've been thinking more. I've been more in the other world. 
but it's also a co-founding role. And I'm very, I guess, well-versed in starting new things and operating, you know, an agency as well. Had you ever thought of like being a part of a founding team no. of a company? Honestly, I never even thought about it. But once that opportunity came, I thought it was a no-brainer. Was I was a little, yeah. Was it scary? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't want to overthink it. So, you know, having these initial conversations, just trying to stay cool about it. Um, but when I met everyone, I just thought this is really exciting. It's like an opportunity for, I guess, we're not the next generation, but we're the next generation at this level. Mm-hmm. So I suppose we've all come up at the same time. We've all seen what works and for what maybe doesn't work. And also all the big changes in the last two years in terms of like people, the mood of how we approach each other, how we approach equality, how we approach diversity, how we approach work-life balance. All of these conversations are, we're now on the cusp of it. And me, myself and the other founders, we're all on the same page with wanting to create an agency that is not another agency. It's not what we've come up in. It's the new generation. The pandemic happened fine, but now we can approach the world a different way. Mm -hmm. We want to have a more open, inclusive environment. We want to do work that we feel passionate about and care about. And that's not driven necessarily by what the client thinks they want. It's more about creating a co- like that conversation, that transparency. It's about collaboration. And that's the kind of relationship that we love with our clients as well. It's like having these open conversations and not really having any secrets and too much hierarchy. And even working with production, it's like being super transparent kind of no bs attitude that i always wanted you know wanting to speak freely about how i feel about this if i think this is wrong if i think this is right creating an environment that everyone feels nurtured and is everyone's just nice mm. no 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 jerks you know <laughs> what is the difference you know being hired you know or being involved in co-founding a company what is that process like yeah. i think that being it, being a co-founder there's two, there's like two jobs. I feel like there's, a, we all have a lot of jobs. A, it's a small, smaller agency. So it's not like- How a, many of you are I there? think there's like, um, like roughly 20-ish. Mm. Um, so what was it's it when you started? I don't know, probably less than 20, maybe like 13. Okay, yeah. <laughs> definitely growing all the time, which mm. is amazing. Mm. But you have a few jobs. So you have, you know, your department job. So I'm head of production. So I have to think about that stuff. And you think about your team, but then also you have to think about your agency and the agency culture and how you are, what kind of environment you're creating mm-hmm. as well. Um, and also just how you want to present yourself to the outside world and being more of a face for the clients as well, especially as production. We don't usually have to do that all the mm-hmm. time in terms of like pitches or chemistry meetings. So there's another layer of being a face Um and trying to present a certain like mm. trying to share what we have with the world while also trying to be ahead of department but also because we're a small team sometimes i'm doing a junior production role as well because something just needs to go out the door so yeah. we all have to like put on many hats um and i think that kind of makes it fun and it keeps us on our toes as well mm. why why did it all come about what was the you know mother other what's the story right so we were we've had a few names because now we're the or (laughs) but essentially it was pandemic time so i keep saying it i said i wouldn't talk about it but there was just a shift in moods right and independent creative thinking felt like 
what was really thriving at that time because everyone was pretty busy at Mother. <laughs> and a lot of the agencies like, you know, that were independent and creative, they were thriving because that was what people wanted. Um, so we just thought there's going to be a shift in the mood. The world is changing. So this is the time to kind of jump in when things feel a bit uncertain. <laughs> Let's just go for it and try and create an agency for the future and an agency that I think even if mother was starting new in 2020, 2020, what would they look like? You know, mm. if we can start from scratch now, knowing what we know from our history, what would that agency look mm. like? Okay. So it was an opportunity to start something from scratch with a brand new world that we're entering into. I see. And what was it like? You, the agency originally called other. Yeah. Then what happens? So we were called other, but there were some, legal issues um no fault of anyone particular that we did settle but it was just better for us to move on with a new name so we're now the or okay brilliant cool and you had a name change i did have a name change tell us about that um i guess in the wise words of iconic adele divorce babes <laughs> <laughs> Okay. okay so i'm back to the og name mm, OG. <laughs> anything you'd like to share about that experience um you know what i guess if i had to say it's been a five-star divorce mm. i've had some other friends divorcing and it's it sounds like a real nightmare like custody and assets and stuff but we had a really quite a smooth it's a smooth transition so mm. i'm just grateful mm. that we're both like very mature and still quite like amicable any advice for anybody going through something similar how do you have a five-star divorce i mean it depends on who you're married to maybe like marry someone who's nice and then divorce someone who's nice <laughs> that doesn't always work yeah. sound <laughs> advice. a bit challenging if you're past that stage exactly <laughs> I, but that's why yeah mm. okay <laughs> the respect don't ever just start don't ever disrespect your partner even when you want to divorce them um you've talked a lot about vision boards and attracting things and secret and manifestation spirit what's your thoughts around you know the universe you mentioned what's your thoughts around how that all works what do you believe in well i guess i i would say i'm very much of the belief of like i'm i guess i'm a spiritual person i just feel very connected to maybe what's beyond the tangible if that mm. makes sense what is beyond the tangible it's like I know we like to think, people like to think. It's humans, we love thinking and it really serves us well. It's created this world for better or for worse. We're kind of flawed. We're like brilliant and stupid all at once. And so I, you know, when you have a feeling, there's intuition, we have all these gifts that work. Like that stuff works. I mean, I've seen so many like articles on say women who are about to get attacked or have been attacked. And before they're like, I had a feeling, but I didn't listen to it that is our intuition mm -hmm. and it's with us like i didn't ask for it it's just we have it and there's so many other things that exist like energy when you meet someone you get along you feel good you meet someone maybe you don't feel as good you know why do people click why do people connect why do people get along why do people don't get along like there's something there what is that something that is our feeling it is the energy that is just what's beyond what can be talked discussed it's beyond what we can explain in words mm. some things you just feel you don't have to say and where did you get these ideas 
like these perspectives from her. So. You know what? I had such an interesting chat with my mom when I went to see her at Christmas because I don't remember all my chats I had in like as a, um, a young person. Like life happens and you can't remember everything. Um, but she told me, she's like, you know what? When you were, I guess, uh, in high school, you started asking me all these questions about like the universe and the world. And she was like, wow, this is really crazy that you're like asking me these questions at this age. Like your sister hasn't even asked me this. She still hasn't asked me this. Um, I feel like my dad is a very spiritual person. My mother, I think she she is as well. They never they weren't religious. They were like, I'm not baptized. They were very anti that. Their families were super religious in that sense. Mm -hmm. But I think that they do have like a spirituality among um, around them. They really do feel about energies and they just are a little, you know, hippy dippy in that sense. And so I felt maybe I got it from them. Mm -hmm. But there was just in me this feeling, I guess it's an empathetic energy, you know, some people just swing that way. <laughs> Do you think how critical has that been to the promotions you've had, the success you've had in your career and where you are now? Well, I suppose to me, uh, it's ever it's been really helpful because it's what I believed in and it's helped me and I've gotten me in a pretty good position now. and. I think especially like maybe 12, 13 years ago when I really started to get more into that stuff. Hashtag Oprah again, because she's all about that stuff. And I think she's I've always watched her since I was a kid. She got more into it. So I got more into it. I guess I was into it a little bit and curious before that because I was asking my mom about it. And she was helping you know, teaching more about like meditation and Buddhism and stuff like that. But then as I got a little older, I got more curious about it and. I think that it just helped guide me. It just gives me like a little bit of an anchor to mm. follow. And it just gives you, I just gives me a little self-belief and a little hope. Mm. So I'm very, I'm very like that. <laughs> Do you meditate? Yeah. And what, yeah. tell people what your meditation is like. And it's, um, it's pretty boring. It's just like set an alarm for 10 minutes. Just sit. I did like Headspace for a while, okay. but then when you graduate, tell people what Headspace is. So Headspace is an app that really helps with meditation, and I think it is really great. And they have different guided meditations. And I did, they did like a, they do like a series. You can like graduate almost, you know. They have different levels, and I think by the time you get to the certain level, he just like says, "Okay, start," and then you sit in silence, and then he's like, "Okay, it's over." And I'm like, well, I don't need an app for that. <laughs> I can just do that myself. Timer, yeah. I can just like do a little timer. Just yeah. So it's just sitting and just whatever shows up. Nice. And what? Anything else you do for? I do a lot of journaling. So I've had journals since I was nine. Wow. Um. So there are a lot. If I ever want to write that book. <laughs> And what do you write in your journals? So I write anything that comes. So some people are like, today I did this. I don't usually do that, even though I'm like, maybe I would like to know what I did. But usually it's just like a free, it's like how I feel that day. It's more like mm -hmm. a therapy as in get something out that's on my mind. And this uh, is every day at a certain time? It's like most of the days. I would say like at least the first half of the week when things are going well before I, you know, go out for Thursday drinks and it goes, goes to hell until Monday. <laughs> But yeah, it's like in the mornings, in the mm, mornings, yeah. it's just nice to have a little coffee, a little quiet time, a little write in your journal, see, what's, see how you're feeling, you know, mm. have a little time for yourself. What, what do you say could be the benefits for professionals to journal more within their day-to-days? 
I mean, for people who have a lot on their mind, I'd just like to get it out. I find it very therapeutic just to get all of that workings outings out on a page. And sometimes it's like work. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's I'm annoyed about this. Sometimes it's like, actually, I'm in a good mood. It's just some for some reason, it works for humans to do that. I'm not sure like there's the science behind it, mm. but it's good to get the feelings out because it's like a release. You know, like, I don't know if you heard this, some animals when they have like a some kind of like battle or something happens and you watch them after they kind of shake it off like ducks do this little shake mm -hmm. and shimmy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like they're just like letting go. And we don't do that. We just hang on. <laughs> So maybe it's just an example of just like letting go exercise. Also, they're like, I think it's just a, another example of letting go. Have you read The Power of Now? Oh, yeah. I'm all like Eckhart is my guy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like about that? I love that in a new earth. I love it because it's so simple. I love Eckhart Tolle because I don't know if you've whoever hasn't gone, go on YouTube because he's like this really unassuming like German man and he's really soft spoken and he had an epiphany and then he realized that like living in the present moments like basically solves all your problems and he's got books he's got loads of youtubes loads of people ask him a question name a question he always has the same answer but yet it's been like 10 years and he's still doing these lectures and he just says the same thing over and over and it just always works he's just like just live in the present moment because then you don't worry about the past. You don't worry about the future. You're just here now. So don't worry about the land now. That's, that's not, doesn't exist. Just live now. So like they'll ask about love. They'll ask about relationships. They'll ask about work. They'll ask about health. They'll ask about, it's like, just live now. It's that simple, but read the book, <laughs> all the books, but that's the essence of it. It's just so simple to understand. Um, so that's why I just love it. I just really just gets you back to being again. Not thinking, just feeling, being, just existing. And that's when most of the great stuff comes out, I think. What role has being in the present moment played in the success that you've had? I feel like as I got older, maybe more into management roles, you have to be more of a personality or you have to speak more to a larger group. And I don't know, most people don't love that. <laughs> People don't really love public speaking. I personally am not the biggest fan, um, but I tend to break through that and living in the present moment and just trusting that whatever is. So it's like prepare, do your homework. But then when you're in the moment, just go with it. That's when people really connect to you the most, I find. I guess that's when the authentic self comes out, the authenticity comes out. So as I've been getting more into those roles, having to be in more uncomfortable situations even like today you know like their lights and everything it can you can feel like you're on the spot so being more in the present moment helps you connect with that moment especially when you're say you know have a big job i've got like loads of emails probably piling up you've got different meetings pull you this that in the other direction and then now i have to sit and i want to connect so i have to turn all that stuff off mm. or else i'm not gonna have a good time with you guys mm. so i think it helps me now in this second phase of my life mm. just enjoy enjoy all of the chaos and fun and intensity that comes with having a role where you're pulled in a lot of directions mm. great well uh yeah it sounds like a very helpful way to manage you know the stresses of being in a leadership position and pulled in different directions and a lot asked of you and it sounds like you're attitude to life and your personality 
and willingness to, to be curious and open if people have connected with that and they see that in you and 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 they see that's a lot of value for us as a company and possibly played a big part in in the career moves that you've you've, you've had and for people to be in a lift and go who's right for this job Mesty. <laughs> you know so it seems um yeah really important i feel like probably thinking about 10 years ago to now that has been probably my biggest achievement is the connections i've made mm -hmm. with everyone and in this industry so many people it's the people make it you know there's so many great people that work here like in this whole industry so many creative people really curious people outspoken people wacky sensitive like straightforward harsh really smart like a little bit airheady like we need everybody to make this work because we're talking to the world. And so I've actually loved that. And I think being able to have all of these um, connections and, you know, when you go to events and you see our into campaign awards and it's like a big reunion after two years, it's like, this is so much fun. Um, it made me, yeah, I'm super proud of that. And I think I just want to thank everybody and just, I love everyone. <laughs> a lovely message. And what is next for Mets? What would you like to do that? Maybe professionally or personally? Do you have particular things that you'd like to do in this life? Well, now that I've um, gotten my citizenship in August, which was like basically my biggest life achievement of all time. That was the other piece on the vision board. The that passport. was the vision board. And that was hard because it takes a lot of paperwork, a lot of money. They don't make it easy, UK, but I did it. Um, that was almost like a fresh start for me. And now I'm, you know, I just had a milestone birthday and I feel like the world is a, my oyster. Mm -hmm. I think personally and professionally, I mean, I'm just so proud of the or what we're doing. And I just feel like we're, this is a new, it's like a renaissance. We're coming into like the roaring 20s again. Mm -hmm. So I'm super excited about what we're doing there and the work we're doing and like the culture we're building there. And so super focused on that. And then also just continuing building connections, building relationships and enjoying what life has to offer and just living in the present moment and uh, seeing where that takes me. Mm. What, what are your goals with the all? I think for me personally, I know that obviously the work is really important and we wanna make really good work that is full of integrity, creativity. Um, so I believe in that, but I'm not, I've never been a real Addy kind of person and I'm always about the people. Obviously that is what helped bring me up. And I've when always you say Addy type of person, like an advertising, like I don't know all the everything about advertising all the time. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, skip. Uh, <laughs> sorry. But I think that also helps maybe have a, a, a light amount of jadedness helps like create work that maybe is a little bit less cliche, you know, mm. so I see it as a an asset. Um, but I think that having a right the right connections and creating a great environment for people to thrive to me that's been my passion um because working in production it's all about the craft and, but it's also about the people project management operations and being a co-founder and building a culture in an agency is so important to me so for me i really want to and i think we're, we are doing it but to continue thriving building a culture and an agency that is where people really feel like they can contribute that they're progressing they're growing they have purpose and that they can take their skills and they can keep them in the agency, but also they can spread their wings and fly. And so everyone who comes through the OR 
feels like they left better and they left stronger and they they really pushed themselves and were motivated in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you create this culture that you want to create? To me, it's about, again, listening mm-hmm. and having that right balance of understanding what people want and also like directing and mentoring and being able to create an environment where it's not just about you get what you want, I get what I want, or, you know, it's not a dictatorship. It's almost like any healthy relationship where you both learn from each other. I want you to be able to do what you want to do. I want you to be able to push yourself and create an environment where you can do that. So we have this thing called the OR projects that we're like super passionate about. And essentially we do, we, we create our own projects and we, we treat them like a client project. So we were able to do like a Brexit Christmas pack where we had a little bit of a tongue in cheek uh, joke about Brexit. And that was amazing. We shoot it ourselves. We concept it ourselves. We PR it ourselves. And that had some great pickup. Um, we're working on some other projects too. Uh, oh, we did the Vagina Museum, which was a pro bono project, which was really awesome. Tell us about that. Um, yeah. So we are promoting the Vagina Museum's new um, location in Bethnal Green. And so we did a whole poster series that were a little bit, uh, I guess, um, what's the word? They were fun. <laughs> <laughs> they were fun, a little bit cheeky um, and beautifully done. And I think that, you know, when we're running some of these lines through the legal team and they're like, well, it's a little bit controversial or like, you know, it's a little bit risque, let's say that. But we don't want to be we want to be an agency where we're like, we can write vagina massive on a poster. We should be doing that. That shouldn't be risque anymore. Like, let's promote that. So that is one of the things that we do as a tool to help creativity thrive and maybe not have to always focus on the bottom line because it's really about creating that that work and mm. creating that spirit of curiosity and creativity. What yeah. other work are you proud of at the OR? Um, well, we just, we're working on Taco Bell, which is super fun. And we had our first retail campaign that came out, I guess just in the spring. And I love it because, I mean, Taco Bell's super brave and they're amazing. They just are really forward thinking and they're just super collaborative and a great partner. So what have you done with them? Um, so this was our first campaign that we've just done. And essentially, I really love it because they're really embracing, uh, I guess, like a new way of approaching like work. And they're super brave with everything. So it might not necessarily be what you'd expect. It's a little bit wacky. It's a little bit out there. It's a little bit in your face, but it also feels really modern, really fresh. And I can't imagine some other people might not have been as brave to buy that. So mm. it's it's been really great working on that and we're still working on more stuff with them. So you'll definitely see more. Um, mm. And even working. Yeah. Like the Brit Awards was amazing with YouTube. Loving. I mean, I love that brand. And what did, uh, you, what did you do? for those So guys? we did um, Brits Unseen. So we worked with um, some artists that were sponsored by the Brits and we went and we were able to shoot them and get their story a little bit more of a personal story of how they've come up and how YouTube's really been like there for them and how mm. that connection really helped them grow as an artist. Um, so I really love that space as well. Music. I mean, like just brands that really speak to me and also feel like they're quite relevant as well. So to me, that's where I feel like really aligned and I feel like just really great partners for us to work with and kind of what we, what we're looking to do more of. Ash, what are your reflections, lessons from Metz's life? Lessons from Metz's life. (laughs) I think the element of pushing forward and knowing that there's another step to go to. I think that that's a really important one. And 
and that element of right i'm going to london i'm going here you know that reflect that kind of reminded me of when i went to university i just applied i got in somewhere even though they gave me a deferred like a deferred place for a year i never went there until the day i went there and that was like the first day i'd ever moved out ever and that was it i remember the door shutting my mum driving off and i'm just like i'm here now deal with it i knew one person like you knew one person it's just like you just got to get on with it right so i think that that really resonates with me and and the aspect of by being yourself by being out there by just yeah being unapolog- unapologetically yourself people can remember you and then you never know when they're going to say your name again or something else and what are your final words of inspiration and motivation to anybody who's going through anything similar to what you've been through what would you what's your inspirational message um well i would say if you have if you feel like maybe there's more for you out there or maybe you're feeling like a little stuck or you have big dreams and aspirations you're not sure how to get there feels like maybe it's an, a huge gap between where you want to be and where you are maybe make a make a vision know where you want to get to but then just focus on maybe the little step the one step ahead of you and be ready to pivot in a direction because i never thought i'd get to where i am now but i knew i wanted to live in london i knew i wanted to work at the bbc i don't know how i'm going to get there but i just took it one step at a time there's so many hidden opportunities that are surrounding you and if you are feeling a bit negative and you're not being open to them they might just pass you by so definitely be open to the opportunities know where you want to get to but be open to maybe it coming in a way that you didn't expect and be there work hard have a good attitude because that might just be the step you need to get to the next step it's all about the little steps in between <laughs> it's not about the net, like you know the big thing and now that i got the big thing and i even now i'm just going off after the bbc i mean that was the goal so you never know where you're going to end up life is a journey i suppose it's really cliche but i'm still figuring it out myself who knows who knows where I'll end up? Mm. Hopefully somewhere good. That's it. Maybe you you will be a Spice Girl one day. Do you know what? You never know. Never know. <laughs> Take it a day at a time. Exactly. Just live in the moment, guys. Yeah. Make a plan, but live in the moment. Thank you, Mets. It's been Thank a pleasure. You, Thank you so much. Thanks.